This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Welcome to Nothing Nothing Happens in a Small Town. So today we have a little guest in the room. (laughs) Mr. Dylan is hanging out with us. So if you get a little bit of barking and stuff, we apologize. And doggy scurrying around. Yeah, yeah. Yep, trying not to pay him too much attention because he was so cute earlier. And I was like, aww, and I started to scratch his belly. And then, of course, he had to get up and walk around and do stuff. You're like, Uh okay, I will try not to do that, even though he's absolutely adorable he is and he's well daddy had to run to the junkyard to get a piece for my stepdaughter's car because well somebody apparently backed into it at work in just the wrong way that like getting safe light to replace the window wouldn't fix the issue because the thing that attaches the window to it is bent yeah yeah so, and so Uncle Sean may be helping out with the putting stuff back together. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll see how all that goes. Yeah. Cause Just, you know, the fun life stuff that happens. <laughs> yes, especially when you've got, like, do-it-yourselfer type people slash, oh, I don't know, my husband's from a family of mechanics. So mm-hmm. I think he can provide assist. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yeah. So we get the dog. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So today's episode is really interesting. I was, I got to tell you, I'm like, how did I not hear about this one before? I know, because it's another Viola one. It is another Viola one. Thank you, Kathy. Um, And it's, I mean, the story is just crazy. I'm like, yeah, wow. I, I, I swear, you know, even though it was in the 80s, it just seems like... Somebody should have done a show on this. <laughs> right. I know. It's like this totally sounds like one of those um oxygen or ID shows should Heck pick yeah. its butt up. I mean this They is did the other one from Viola. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean the the stuff that happened in this one is just insane. So I'm gonna get into it. So Kim Wayne Jackson um was born September ninth or September twelfth, nineteen fifty one, and he married Janet Butler on October twenty second, nineteen seventy six. They had a daughter, Catherine Ann, and Kim was working at a newspaper, um, but his true passion was being a carpenter and he really liked to to build things and do things and he also loved horses. And um, he and uh, Janet, they seemed to have a pretty normal life until about December of 1985. And that's when... Nine years into the marriage. Yeah. and So beyond the seven-year itch. Right. Sorry. (laughs) And then things got really interesting. (laughs) 
So Michael Miller, who is 14 or 15 years old at the time, was a son of a friend of theirs, and he moved into the house with Janet and Kim. And Janet at the time was probably 30, 31, and Kim was about 33, 34 at and that time. And remember, Michael is a teenager. Yes. 14, 15 years old. Okay, so apparently Michael would work with Janet as she was um, doing her newspaper route. Um, and, uh, well, I guess uh, supposedly she seduced him. Because that's normal for a 30-something-year-old woman to have a sexual relationship with a, a child that could be 15, her child. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, so they started having an affair. Um, but at the same time, a third man gets involved. His name is to- Tony Royark. And he met Michael through his partner at the time. Apparently, he came home one day um and tony or i'm sorry michael tony's tony's partner partner and michael Michael were in the kitchen and according to tony michael insisted they had sex so nice yeah um again this is a 15 year old and tony at the time is 25 26 and this 15 year old becomes a or was already a male prostitute correct yes supposedly he was already already (laughs) a prostitute but um yeah so i guess their relationship involved um tony making dates for michael and then michael getting money for the dates so tony being the pimp correct this is awesome. Yes, isn't this a lovely, lovely relationship? So we've got going. so we've got Kim Janet. and Janet. Yeah, they're married. They are housing Michael, who is a prostitute, who has his pimp Tony. But Michael has having sex, sex with, with Janet and having sex with Tony. Tony and whoever Tony sets him up with. Correct. This is awesome. Yes. So this fifteen-year-old is getting wow. around with. You know, all these, all these people. And um, so initially, Tony did not like the relationship between Janet and Michael. And but the three decided to continue their affairs. However, they are. And apparently my (laughs) mic just slipped. Yeah, your mic just decided it it had given up the ghost. (laughs) It says, I'm done. Are we done yet? (laughs) These people, maybe it was just. It's version of its jaw dropping. It could be. It I could don't know. Because this is really crazy. <laughs> oh, okay. hi. And there's no Dylan. No barking, buddy. <laughs> we said he was here. Yes. All right. And Dylan's like, this stuff's crazy too, man. It really is. So the three are having an affair. Um, With around each other. this time, Kim <laughs> buys a farmhouse. This is his dream. So he gets a farmhouse in Viola and it's got a lot of land and places for them to keep their horses. Yeah, 36 acres. That yeah. is a nice sized parcel. Yeah. And so they already had, I think, about 14 horses. And they had planned on breeding and getting more horses. And I mean, this was like his passion. And that was what he really wanted to do in life. So 
at this time, you know, he's working on the house and then all of a sudden Janet's kind of like, you know, I just don't want you anymore. You got to move out. So he then moves out and moves to Rock Island to a trailer. Yeah, because I think they were in Rock Island to begin with. That's where they got married, at least. Right. And Viola is not that far away. No. Yeah. And um, so then he's living in this trailer. And then all of a sudden, Janet, Tony, and then Faye Jackson, who is Kim's brother, they start to plan Kim's murder. Okie dokie. So we've got this guy, Kim Jackson, married to Janet. Mm-hmm. Ha ha, Janet Jackson. Um, his sister and his wife, his wife's paramour and the paramour's pimp are all out to kill him. So Faye is actually a guy. Oh, that's right. Because we got Faye. Um, yep. Kim, Faye. Faye. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Brother. Yep. So just trying to get this straight in my head because my brain is spinning. It is it is crazy, people. It is crazy. So yeah, so Janet, Tony, um, Faye, and Michael are all trying to plan to kill Kim. And basically the plan is to use Kim's insurance money to purchase a house to rent out. And okay. Yeah. But for I'm used to hearing, like, bigger plans. I know. This is, like, okay. But then, I guess... That would give them the financial freedom. and Michael can live together with uh, Tony. The three of them can live together, have their uh, little threesome going on. Love nest. Yeah, love nest. And then, (laughs) I guess, for Faye, it would be getting, like, a truck or something out of the deal. I don't know. And then a house that they can continue to get some rent from because, Mm -hmm. you know, having a rental property is lovely. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I may have done that a few times, and I don't care to ever do that again. (laughs) So in August of 1986, Kim Kim moved out of their shared home, and then the first murder attempt... First murder attempt. Is at the end of that month. Is, yeah, August 28th. So Tony goes in, loosens a gas pipe in an attempt to blow up the trailer. Awesome. Tony was arrested for the murder attempt, and Kim was a witness. So then shortly after that, you've got Janet and Michael going to the library and researching drugs. And they check out some books on drugs, like different... I mean, you know, in the 80s, they just didn't realize they would get caught on all this. Right. (laughs) Well, Um, people don't realize that now, but anyhow. (laughs) So the second attempt was September or October of 1986. Janet gave Kim Valium in vitamin capsules. Cool. Yeah. So then September. Hey, Hey, women and poison. Yes. Yes. We talked about this before. Uh, September 1986, Todd Brown, who is a convenience store clerk, told the three that his friend was going to take care of his wife for cheating. So then Janet starts inquiring with this Todd guy, well, how much would, you know, it cost to have my my husband taken out? Yeah, if money wasn't an object, what would it be? Yeah, and uh, he he had told her like three to four thousand. And eighty six dollars. That's you know, yeah. That's not a insignificant amount of t- money. Because like in Viola, you're talking like yeah. rent for a house would be like five hundred bucks back then. Right. So that's 
Yeah. Nice amount. Um, so that same month, Kim got a job at the post office and Janet helped him fill out the insurance paperwork where he was initially going to get $20,000, you know, which was the, the normal amount. That was the standard. Because that's what, a, a annual, was that his annual pay? I think pay? that was about his annual yeah. pay, yeah. And then, but you can go up to five times that. That's, that's mm-hmm. typical government. Right. Yep. So she talks to him, and he increases the number to 100000 mm-hmm. And, of course, she and Catherine Ann are listed on the policy. Wife and daughter makes sense. Yeah. So November 22nd comes around, and Janet was done. She'd had it. So done with that. So she wants him she, dead. And this is the other part. Okay, you, you're estranged from your spouse, and you still... You let them talk you into a high dollar, because $100,000 in 1986 goes a long a lot. way yeah. in Biola, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, the late 80s is when my mom sold the house. No, she didn't sell it until like 2000, but she sold the house I grew up in for like mm-hmm. $17,000, $20,000. Yeah. So $100,000, that's like. That's substantial that's really a big amount of money it really is and you're gonna ha- name your estranged wife mm-hmm. i'd be naming just the kid yeah but what do i know so anyhow Sorry. and Janet then she had, had it. him she's had it she's <laughs> done she wants him dead so she that day um her michael tony and Faye are all hanging out at Tony's place and she's like this has to happen tonight it's gotta happen tonight so so done with this guy Tony's like all right we're gonna make it look like a robbery and she's like okay so I get him to the farmhouse and then you guys can hit him beat him up whatever you gotta do to kill him and then you know you steal the money from his wallet and you take my purse and you know you guys run away and you know nobody has to know you're the ones who did it you know and initially it was supposed to be tony and Faye who committed the act but last minute Faye kind of goes i don't think i can do this yeah killing your brother is kind of a big deal so he backs out. He's like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. So then Michael gets involved. And now it's Tony and Michael going to the farm. Well, so Janet, you know, gets on the phone. She makes the date with Kim. She tells him, oh, I, you know, I think it's time you come home. I'm, I'm ready to, to work things out. I want you to come home. Let's go on a date. And before we, you know, go home, though, I want to go out to our farm and, and just kind of make things official, whatever. Whatever that means. You know, having sex or whatever to make it. Seal the deal. I guess. I'm sorry. (laughs) This whole thing just is like, and you can imagine this poor guy, he probably is, you know, since he did put his life insurance with her as a beneficiary and stuff, right. he's hoping to get I mean, back together with her. Family. And this is his his wife, his yeah. daughter. They to him, gotta... this is great. Yeah. So it's and this all is coming dream. together. This is his. You know, they have this farm. That's his dream to have, raise these horses and, and have his family. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's basically what is the plan so 
They go on a date, and November 23rd, very early morning, three-ish, um, Tony and Michael enter the forum house. They wait in a hallway area where um, basically Tony is hiding behind one side and Michael's hiding behind the other. They have two pipes. Um, there's one that's a more heavy-duty pipe and one that's more of like a, I think it's a water pipe and one's a gas pipe. So Tony has the water pipe. The plan is that Michael's going to turn on the light to distract him and then at that point hand the, the heavier pipe to Tony where Tony's going to then kill him. Awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, so Kim and Janet, they enter the house. Janet then asks Kim to give her a kiss. And at that point, Tony attacks. He hits him over the head. He yells at Michael. Michael turns on the light, hands the other pipe over. They hit him repeatedly, Mm. cracking his skull. Really, really brutal. And Kim, thinking that... (laughs) There's intruders in his house. Yes. And he yells, run, Jan, they're hitting me. So, of course, his concern is his wife. His wife. And all this time, she orchestrated the thing. What a wonderful wife. So, after Kim dies, Janet reminded them to make it look like like a robbery. So, they hit Janet with a board. Um, They hit her on the side. They hit her. I don't think they hit her in the head. But, you know, they did it to... They punched her in the face. She then later claims that they knock her out not true Mm, don't Um, but they took her purse and kim's wallet and they left so janet stays in the house for about two and a half hours reading a book reading a book with her (sighs) husband her her husband's dead body just lying there yep And then she goes to the neighbor's house screaming for help. And, you know, Dwayne and Michelle Jenkins open the door to a hysterical Janet. Janet is freaking out. They killed my husband. Uh, Somebody attacked me. Please call the police. You know. Um, So the other interesting thing I found was that Rock Island Argus uh, That's the newspaper. Was, yeah, yeah, newspaper, November 24th, 1986, stated that there had been a lot of traffic at the farmhouse since Kim bought the house. They mentioned that there were s- searchlights sometimes. kind of wonder about that. Yeah, were they like planning? What were they planning? Yeah. That's or weird. what were they doing? Yeah. Uh, but the other thing... <laughs> I think of the movie The Burbs. <laughs> They're yes. burying bodies. It could be. You never know. <laughs> but... I, I do wonder because um, they, they getting... did have a lot of horses out there. Mm-hmm. So was it something where maybe he's out there searching for the horses or trying to do something around the farm? Typically, I mean, with horses, I mean, granted, I am not like Ms. Equestrian or anything, but I really like horses. And I yeah. grew up like, well, lots of girls go through a horse phase. But horses, if they, I mean, the handful of people I know who've had them, it's like they come in when they want their food. So if you've got food station around the place and you're planning on them being out, you know, out all the time, well, 
you just don't go to try to find them until the morning. Right. Unless somebody doesn't come back, you know, maybe they had anticipated everybody come into the barn in the evening and one didn't. That's the only thing I can think of why you would go out searching. Yeah. I just, I'm not sure what the searchlight thing was about. That's just weird. It is. It might be a red herring. (laughs) For all we know. Uh, Don't know. Well, I did draw up some fun facts. We've already talked about Viola, of course. (laughs) So let's look at the town in which they were married and seem to have spent a lot of their life in what their life was prior to this whole farmhouse. That was definitely Kim's big idea. Yeah. So did a little, you know, let's go look at Rock Island. They actually have their own um, web page and stuff. And it's, it's a cute, it's part of the Quad Cities, which are actually five cities but hey you know whatever mm-hmm. um it it's history since 1835 according to their pages it was a when the great the great sock warrior black hawk lived there when the u.s army secured the upper mississippi for white settlers fort armstrong built on what is now rock island and some of you may have heard about like the island arsenal and stuff uh because it was important during the civil war um but the Fort Armstrong served both as a trading post as well as a military installation, attracting more white settlers and eventually leading to the fall of Black Hawk and migration west by the Sauk and Fox Indian nations. Growth with the Fort Armstrong post came about due to its strategic location in a shallow area of the Mississippi, which eased access for riverboats. Within a few years, the small town across from the trading post became a thriving and growing frontier river town of several hundred families. The original city plat was filed on July 10th of 1835 and was named Stevenson. It was renamed Rock Island in 1841. Imagine Stevenson. Hmm, Swedish name. Well, and I was just going to mention that, you know, um, Kiwani, where we're both from, um, there's also Blackhawk College there. Right. So. Yep. Blackhawk College is, it's pretty much equidistant between Kiwani and Galva. Yeah. And I think there is a branch. 78 and 34. And Moline? Yeah, th- yeah, I think so. Yeah. But yeah, so Blackhawk, I mean, we, the... That name, that chief, is mentioned a lot in lore around yes. our area. So at least he's not forgotten, even though he and his uh, family were pushed out by the white settlement. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a theme in Illinois. Well, yeah, that's yeah. American history. Yeah. Um, and geez, imagine that. The railway helped bring industry into the area. Mm-hmm. The economy prospered after 1856 when the Chicago and Rock Island Railroad built the first railroad bridge across the Mississippi. The railway brought industry to Rock Island, lumbering, pottery, and the manufacture of farm implements and railroad supplies, among others. Yeah, I remember uh, here and there when the Mississippi has their great floods on local news, we would see, and here's the train backup on both sides. (laughs) This is why your goods are not getting to you, ladies and gents. And we've talked about Augustana before, too, again, since we're, again, around our hometown. Um, The establishment of Augustana College, uh, we already talked about that, so so we don't really have to talk about that. But river towns in the mid-19th century were known to be raucous, awfully unrefined, and even downright rough-and-tumble communities. (laughs) Rock Island was no exception. Augustana College moved to Rock Island in 1875, further expanding the influence of Swedish immigrants in the community. 
As the years have passed, the college has grown from one all-purpose brick structure to an extensive campus. So other ethnic and cultural migrations to Rock Island have included German, Irish, Jewish folk, uh, American Indian, African-Americans, and all settled in distinct neighborhoods. Yeah, their their homepage uh, included... It was interesting to see that they actually did include uh, different colors. We talk about this a lot at work, where people discuss a DEI type situation, you know, inclusivity, and they actually have a pretty good inclusive looking website. So, mm. yeah. So, That's then, good. Um, so they've got Citizen Improvement Association, that whole uh, raucous thing. They tried to bring about prosperity. Um, they had civic associations. Uh, this group of some 100 influential businessmen began to exert pressure on the city to have roads and sidewalks and demolish undesirable bu- buildings. So the success led to brick paving of city streets and the hiring of the city's first park commissioner. So they, they really did start working on beautification of the community. They had trolley cars. They extended the lines. Um up to the bluff where uh, bluff top opened into huge tracts of land for development in the early 20th century rock island you know around the rivers the missouri the mississippi the beautiful bluffs this that's where people wanted to live so anyhow um yeah i just had a lot of different things about the prosperity how they dealt with uh the different world wars i found it interesting that they actually didn't put in their um history because you can read all this uh go look up uh, rock island um they had a lot of interesting industry and family adjustments for the gis when they returned from world war one and two but they don't mention rock island during the civil war mm-hmm. it was actually uh used primarily to jail uh southerners oh <laughs> so I, was, I found it interesting that it's like they have all this other stuff about their establishments of levees and you know that rock island was part of the whole structure for the hennepin canal and everything else and you're just like where's that in here hmm. but anyhow it was just an it's a neat town um like i said it's part of the quad cities and they seem to try to do a lot to make it a nice place to live Anyhow, Rock Island for (laughs) y'all. So the trials were also very interesting in this case. (laughs) This case just cracks me up. It really is. It's just like, I I seriously am going, why has this not been done? In one of the murder shows. Yes. Have we missed it? Because, yeah, yeah, you would think when when researching, you would have found, oh, this was on Snapped or on. I mean, I did a pretty big deep dive. I could not find it. So if it is out there and anybody knows about it, please let us know. But if you haven't done it, hey, let us know. (laughs) I think it would make a good episode, you guys. It really would. Um, So Michael Miller is 15 at the time of the murder. He pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and attempted murder and agreed to testify for the state. So he's testifying against both Tony and Janet. And Tony is like deeply in love with Michael, like deeply in love with Michael. And he really kind of tries to, I think, show that he loved him by protecting him if he could it's it's kind of sad that i think he really did love him but he's a 15 year old kid i don't know and you're a 20 something year old guy and you're his pimp 
It's just Sorry. messed up. It's, it's really a messed up messed relationship. Up. Um, but Tony also pleads guilty to armed robbery, murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. Now, Janet pleads not guilty. She well, doesn't of course not. think she's, you know, in, tr- in trouble at all. So Michael told police Janet's credit cards, his shoes, gloves, and the floor mats had been disposed of, and Michael helped the police recover some of the evidence. Right, the floor mats of the car that they had squirreled away off somewhere. Yeah, so they, they, okay, one thing I read said they had borrowed a car, another thing I read said it was Tony's truck, but in any case, there was whatever vehicle they used um, the night of the murder. So Janet's defense, um, Michael testified about his relationship with Janet and Tony. He testified about the planning of Kim's murder and the events that happened on November 23rd. Um, Michael or Ogrizek, um, sure. Yeah. Ogrizek. Ogrizek. Something. Yeah. Uh, a crime scene technician for the Illinois State Police testified that a three to four inch gas pipe, a one inch galvanized water pipe, and a section of two by four lumber were recovered at the scene. Oh, it's a three fourth inch gas pipe. That's the diameter. Oh, okay. Um, and a half inch galvanized water pipe. So yeah, the water pipe would have been pretty happy. The gas pipe, I don't know. Yeah. So basically Kim was struck um, both while standing and while lying down. Um, He also found that Kim's life insurance form showed he elected the coverage five times the amount of his salary, which we kind of knew. Um, but it was re- retrieved from the side of the rural highway. So I guess it was in Janet's purse or something. Because why else would it? Yeah, right. it had to have been. So that's telling, too, that she had it in her purse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were just throwing out... Because they were staging a robbery, not actually robbing. So I guess they were just throwing things out the highways. It they sounds like it, yeah. Um, okay. And- included other papers and identification belonging to both of the Jacksons. So, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. So they could have just buried it in a hole somewhere. They just figured it would go missing along the side of the hall. Because this is something that present day, I mean, you know how you always see people uh, litter clean up along highways. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that exists. Right. That did not happen in the 70s. There was this whole push in the mid 80s so right around this time they were used to highways being dirty nasty messes Mm -hmm. um and there were all these i actually remember one commercial in particular is actually of an indian crying looking at the mess along the highway you remember that that? one yeah there were all these ads and there was a big marketing push to clean up our highways right so they probably were still stuck in that People just litter all over the place, yeah. and it's never going to get found. Right. It just popped into my head. I'm like, yeah, that. Yeah. Yes, it was a huge marketing thing. Yeah. So basically, yeah, they threw everything out just as Makes they were sense. driving down the road. And to them, that was the same as like throwing it in landfill for all yeah. they cared. Right. Um, so Pam Kenner, who... So Kim lived with her and I think her husband whenever he moved out from Janet being told, you know, you can't live here anymore kind of thing. So were they in the trailer where the pipe 
Yes. They, oh, so, so not were, only the attempted murder was not just going to be of Kim, it would it have killed them too. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Awesome people. Um, so on two occasions, the gas pipes under the trailer were tampered with. And she also s- said that she heard Kim speak to Janet by telephone. And during the course of the conversation, she heard Kim ask repeatedly, what his surprise was and when he finished with the telephone conversation he told her to pack his bags because apparently he was going home Uh. so yeah lovely um barbara woloskowicz yeah it's another i don't know Uh, The personal assistant at the Rock Island Post Office testified that she explained to Kim the basics of the life insurance policy and the equivalent of one year salary or 20,000, but he could purchase coverage up to five times his salary. Thank you, Dylan, for growling. Yes. (laughs) Um, she said that Kim elected the basic 20,000 policy at that time, but wished to discuss it with his wife, um, before making the decision. And then of course, afterwards he chose the, more. Yeah. Because Janet wanted more. Um, Perry. Well, she's going to kill him. She wants the top dollar, man. Oh yeah. And Perry Munson, a real estate broker, uh, he actually met with Tony and Janet and Michael at one point as they toured a home and they were actually inquiring about purchasing it at one point, but they had no earnest money to put down. So he discarded the, the offer. Um, Janet kind of objected and said that uh she only went along to view the house because it had beautiful woodwork well you know i mean part i I, mean i like looking at houses too but well you know i came here and looked at this house when you were buying it yes yes (laughs) i get that bug but But, at the same time yeah sure you did mm -hmm. so marvin 30 acre who is the sheriff of Mercer County, who questioned Janet um, on November 25th, said that after Janet gave her statement while standing in a hallway awaiting transportation to jail, she approached him and said, you forgot to ask me one thing. When Sheriff 30 Acre inquired what he should have asked, she said, you forgot to ask me if I would do it again. The sheriff told the jury that he asked her if she would do it again. And she answered, yes. That's, yeah. Um, I'm thinking this is an admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. Just maybe. And here's another one. So Mark Scritchfield, the officer who booked Janet at the Rock Island Sheriff's Department, said that while he was fingerprinting Janet, she asked him what it felt like to pr- print a murderer. He responded by asking Janet if she had murdered someone, to which she replied, yes, I did. Again, these are not the words of an innocent person, I'm thinking. No. Um, Lucille Harawas said that she, so this is Janet's aunt, and she kind of apparently lived with the couple at one point in time, and she was testifying to Kim's physical and verbal abuse of Janet. Right, because of course he had to have physically abused her for her to want to kill him. Right. Gotcha. 
Um, and then she, Janet, testified on her own behalf. Um, first, she said that when she told the sheriff that he forgot to ask her the one question, she believed she was under arrest for lying to the police because she gave a fictitious description of the attacker. The it she was referring to lying about was the description. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sorry, was yeah. that my outside uh, sarcastic tone? <laughs> she also said that when she asked the booking officer what it felt like to print a murderer, she was referring to uh, Tony and Mil- uh, Michael because she saw a sheet which indicated they were being charged with the murder. Uh-huh. Um, but he, he said, did you murder someone? And she, she said, said, yes, yes I, I did. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, she testified that when the booking officer responded to her with the question by asking if she had murdered someone, she said, I guess I did, not yes, I did. Uh Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, So (laughs) she, like I said, she she admitted to looking at the house, but it was just because she wanted to look at the pretty woodwork. Well, if Um, it was a craftsman, I'm totally with her on this. I I mean, yeah, that is kind (laughs) of, that one could be true, but we also know she's... It's her the money she was going to get that they were going to use to purchase. Correct. Or at least this is, of course, the theory of the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to Janet, the convenience store clerk uh, told her she should get a hit man and volunteered to locate one. She wasn't, you know. Oh, yes. yes. Of course. Because somebody's just going to go, oh, you know, I know your husband and you should kill him. What? No. <laughs> That doesn't make sense. But no. anyhow. And of apparently... The week, clerk's not serious about of this. Of course not. And apparently a week and a half before Kim was murdered, the clerk told her that he would kill Kim for a couple of thousand dollars because he needed the money. But she had no further communication with him. Well, she didn't need him anymore. No. <laughs> so she did acknowledge that on Friday, November 21st, she obtained volume for her husband, but she did so because her husband had complained that he was not sleeping well. So, well, you know, you know, let's just get Valium. And the dutiful wife. Yes. And she she wasn't intending to kill him. She just she just was trying to help him sleep. Of course for she was. Life. But yeah. <laughs> um, sleep forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, she said that after her husband began working at the post office, he told her that he had taken out a hundred thousand dollar policy, but she didn't she didn't tell him to take that much out, nor did she share that with Tony or Michael that there was a policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna share stuff with your lovers, I think. I don't know. Probably. I've never done that, but hey. I, I I mean, yeah. You share with the person that you're having intimate relationships with. <laughs> She said her husband was a large man who sometimes shook her, pushed her, and subjected her to mental abuse. And while that may or may not be true, we don't know. You know, uh, that doesn't necessarily give her (laughs) cause to kill him. Right. Unless Um, she was being abused at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, She said that she, Michael, and... Faye Jackson spent the morning of Saturday the 22nd at Tony's home. She had made plans for a date with her husband that evening and also her discussions discuss, yeah, discussions regarding his murder. 
several methods were discussed, she said, including one which Faye, Tony, and Michael would hide at the farmhouse and beat or shoot Kim. None of these scenarios involved Janet, and she did not participate or want Kim killed. Then why would she go to the farmhouse? Good question. And she also said she did not believe the discussions were of a serious nature because they were similar to a game called Murder Mayhem, where they played this game daily and involved formulating plots to murder Kim. Um, And Elmer, a name the group used when Janet became upset about the use of her husband's name. So they just played a game where they killed him every single day. Y'all can't see the face I'm making. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> um, really... But it's just a game. You would never talk about things in jest and actually mean them. Right. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the scheduled date with her husband that evening at approximately 3.30 in the morning. She told her husband she wanted to go home, but he drove them to their oh, farmhouse instead. He drove them to the farmhouse. He drove them there, yep. She said they entered the dark house and she told the kid. She told Kim the location of the nearest light switch, which makes no sense because it's his, his house. house. He would know, you um, would think. She moved into another room and heard Kim say, they're hitting me. She switched on the lights and turned toward the room he was in, but Tony and Michael blocked her path. Tony pushed her away and gave Michael a short pipe. Michael left the room and Tony hit her several times with a board. When Michael returned her He hit her with his fist. Tony then hit her on the head with a board, and she either passed out or the lights in the house were turned off because everything went black. She discovered her husband's body but could not rouse him. She then crossed a field to get to the Jenkins house. She admitted she gave an inaccurate description of the assailants to the police artist but testified she did so because she did not trust the police, Tony or Michael. Okay. Fear of reprisal, I guess, um, is her, what she's trying to say. Yeah. So on cross-examination, um, Janet admitted that she, Tony, and Michael, and sometimes Faye Jackson had talked about her husband's murder since the summer of 1986, and that she knew Tony and Michael would be waiting for her husband at the farm. In her statement, she also admitted that on the night of the murder, Tony told her he had he intended to beat Kim up for his wallet and would also take Janet's purse to make it look like a robbery. Okay, well, that's smart. If you knew these things... Why, when he said he was going to take you to the farmhouse, why didn't you warn him? Or tell him, don't go there. Yeah. Dr. Noble Harrison testified that Janet was experiencing some elements of battered woman syndrome and that she had difficulties forming close relationships with males, was dependent and needed male companionship, and sometimes had difficulty making sound judgments. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, he also found that Janet had a tendency to be amoral and was immature emotionally. The psychologist stated that Janet was influenced by the elements he mentioned, but at no time was she incapable of making sound decisions based on any relevant mental disorders. So the state questioned her about... Oh, this one's the really interesting one. Gotta tell you about this. Oh, no. The love notes? There are love letters and love notes that she had delivered to Tony during their incarceration. About a hundred... 
letters. A hundred? A hundred. And in a lot of these, she's talking about, oh, you know, if we just pin this on Michael, you know, then we can walk away from this scot-free. You and I can, we can still have a good life. You know, this can all be okay. We just got to turn on Michael for him turning on us. And yeah. <laughs> um, Missy can see my face. <laughs> yeah. And oh my gosh. she, I mean, okay, did you seriously, you're in you're jail. In jail. You don't think your mail's going to get, get read? Exactly. It's like, um, mm. hello? No. <laughs> well, even if they didn't open it, which we know they do. Right. That you're sending this other person tons of mail yes even if they wouldn't be allowed to open it to begin with you don't think they would subpoena it (laughs) yeah i just i don't get it oh wow well i mean and it's just i'm joking i'm sitting here in my own brain thinking about making jokes about sometimes has difficulty making sound judgments yeah um you're basically pointing at here's an example the example uh-huh. being she murdered him uh-huh. <laughs> anyhow so, so yeah she was sentenced to natural life imprisonment imprisonment for murder and 60 years imprisonment for armed robbery uh following the hearing on janet's post-trial motion the court reduced the 60-year term to a term of 30 years Janet filed a motion for a new trial, which was denied. So. Wow. Yeah. Do we know if they're still alive? I'll, I'll get to that at oh, the okay. end. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's I, okay. This time, Missy, I didn't read everything that you put together. I, I did okay. read. I skimmed pretty good. It's It's been an interesting time for me. If it's not obvious, Missy's been taking up more of the actual of research into the event lately because I was selling a house and moving in my fifth wheel and dealing with all that stuff plus taking a lot of time off work in the middle of promotion season which means that I have to make that time up even though I took leave and I I have plenty of leave and accrue plenty of leave there's just too much to do and I've had no brain power and I'm, you know, we both love we researching love this. this stuff. So and, uh, yeah, I'm happy to do it because I love it. And <laughs> I'm having fun with this one telling you the story because right. you don't know don't everything. Know so because right, well, the notes, she changed her note. I did. Too. I changed my notes because I feel that I get stuck on my words a little bit. So I was like, you know, maybe if I just do this in a way where I'm telling the story more. Right. Whereas like you, you might have noticed that I had a lot more on the Rock Island stuff. And yeah. as we're going through, I'm like, I don't really want to talk about the rest of the stuff. Even though I knew all the content, I'm like, yeah, there's nothing more we really need to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I do like looking up these little tidbits and stuff. Like my fact break this time is I was like, okay, Let's do a search on how often spouse on spouse murder includes life insurance as a motive or for murder versus divorce and ended up down a rabbit hole of different spouse on spouse slash familial violence (laughs) and actually found a pretty good resource for future things with regard to um, familial violence that that particular thing is um, from 2002. Well, the the actual write ups from 2005. So it's at least not 
decades and decades old. It's only two decades old, which anymore, something to get into a, a fact book that's used for like, you know, this is from when you're talking about law and all the mm-hmm. other fun stuff, it takes a while for those things to make it into. Right. But the first thing I stumbled upon was instead, who kills whom in spousal <laughs> killings? I'm like, well, this is a good one to look yeah. at too. This is actually from, um, you know, this is more of those uh, criminology journals. So we're talking about, like, it's been fact check, law, review, blah, blah, blah. Um, So this is, what is the, on the exceptional sex ratio of spousal homicides in the United States. This is older. It's from date published 1992, but it's still journaled. It's 27 pages in a larger law journal. Um, the, it's, the basics are, it's, uh, data on marital murders in the United States, Canada, Australia, and Great Britain were analyzed with respect to factors related to the ratio of men killing their wives to women killing their husbands. Um, the results revealed that for every 100 men who killed their wives in the United States between 1976 and 1985, about 75 women killed their husbands. So for, you know three quarters yeah 75 percent. all right um women committed a substantially larger proportion of spousal homicides (laughs) in the united states than elsewhere imagine that shocking (laughs) in fact the spousal sex ratio of of killing there they actually made this into an acronym Srock. <laughs> I love acronyms. I, the yeah. government loves acronyms. Yes. Is more than twice that in other Western countries. Ow. Oh, dog. Yep, Dylan gotta... just scratched me. Oh. He's like, why are women so mean? Yes. I know they be. <laughs> but unlike other, uh, a lot of. Uh, people pin this to would would potentially look to pin this to guns because we have substantially more guns in the United States than elsewhere but as we learned in prior episodes women don't tend to kill with guns as much that is true so um they they can't actually pin it on greater gun use in the United States nor to a general behavioral and psychological convergence of males and females in the United States. Instead, significant predictors of the SROC, I love that, include registered versus de facto marriage, co-residency versus separation, ethnicity, and age disparity. However, the impacts of these variables are not sufficient to explain the difference in the victim-sex ratios in the United States and other countries. There's tables and, and there's a lot, lots of junk there. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay. And then I found a mother load of family violence stats. So uh, this is data that is another you know, PDF pulled down from a government site. Uh, fatal family violence. About 22% of murders in 2002 were familial murders. Nearly 9% of those were, uh, were murders of a spouse, six were murders of sons or daughters by a parent, and 7% were murders of other family members. Females were 58% of the victim pool. Um, of all mur- of the murders, females in 2002, murders of females in 2002, family members were responsible for 43%. So if a woman was killed in 2002, about half the time it was from a family member. Children under under the age of 13. Well, hello, Dylan. Oh, somebody's walking by the house. Ah, can't have that. 
Ah, Dylan's our protector. He is. He <laughs> is. We're talking about people killing people, so I guess. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff about, you know, eight and ten murderers who killed their family members were male. That shouldn't surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They did go into the whole um, how many people kill their parent and all that other fun stuff. <laughs> um, but family violence offenders in prison of the nearly um, half a million men and women in state prisons for violent crime in 1997, 15% were violent crime against a family member. So that's actually, um, I'm not sure how significant that is because, yeah, yeah, I don't know all of the other stuff, but it was just interesting to me that they have all these factoids and you can pull apart like of the crimes for which family violent offenders were in prison. Most were against a female. More than three quarters of them, 78%. More than half were against a child under the age of 18. More than a third were against a child under the age of 13. And a lot of these offenses are sex offenses as Mm. well. So there were more sex offenses than murders. Which you just go, ew, gross. Um, So I did find stuff about insurance, but I figured... Let's just play with the idea of who kills who for insurance in the next break. <laughs> but yeah, I think this particular PDF has just has so many stats. I think this is going to be like a go-to for me to find stats in the future. Very cool. If, as you can, and Missy can see all the percentages on these pages. Yes, there's it's a like lot. A lot. There's a lot. So now we're going to go to Tony Royark's defense. So Tony Lynn Royark... He he testified about his relationship with Janet and Michael and the events leading up to the murder. Tony's testimony covered various other topics, including previous plans to murder Kim. Oh, the game. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the group's intention to purchase a house so they could all live together. Counsel and the court spe- specifically stated that Tony's testimony concerning Janet would be considered only as to Tony. Right. Because this is, he's already said he's guilty, but this is like his, it's weird to call it his defense because it's his uh, reckoning of the facts using his defense counsel to help along. Right. Gotcha. Um, So they determined that Janet Jackson was eligible for the death penalty and then considered Tony's eligibility. Uh, The state called Michael Miller of course, who testified that he met Tony in 1984. Michael said they were initially friends and co-workers, but they began a sexual relationship approximately three months after they met. Not they co-workers? Let's see. 1984. So he was like 13. Yeah. And, um, okay. Yeah. Um, Which is so... also gross if they were having sex and he's 13. Yeah. Poor well. kid. It it sounds like this kid was pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, He stated he had sex with men Tony introduced him to, and the men gave him money, some of which he gave to Tony, making Tony him his pimp. Michael indicated that although the plans to murder Kim had been discussed for several months, they did not become serious until after Tony was arrested for arson. Michael testified that Janet told Tony to take the victim's wallet. So was there... Um, fire involved with the cat gas 
leak stuff they did? I don't think there was. Is it different arson? Okay. Yeah. I don't, yeah, they... uh, um, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I'm not quite sure how they, but basically he did get arrested for it. And he did have a trial coming up for that. And when all this happened. Yeah. Of course, Kim was going to be testifying against him. And so Tony had motive to want to kill him. Gotcha. Yeah. So Tony then took the stand on his own behalf. He said that as a child, his home life was unstable and that two of his older brothers sexually abused him for several years. Yeah, there's a lot of stats about victims turning into offenders, too. Yeah, and he said he dropped out of school after seventh grade, but it attained a general education development degree, GED. I'm glad he got his GED. um, He talked about meeting Michael, who was a male prostitute. He said that he came home one day to his lover, who was in the kitchen with Michael. He had sex with Michael that day that Michael insisted on that. which I think I've stated that before, yeah, but did. it's just kind of reiterating, you know, this is kind of, I, I do think Tony, um, I think he loved Michael, but it's a very sick relationship. Yeah, that happens a lot in small towns. Um, Tony, I know it happens everywhere. But. It does, yeah. And he said, Tony said he was initially bothered by Michael's sexual relationship with Janet, but eventually they all agreed they would continue their relationships. Now, the one thing I could not really figure out was like, were the three actually having sex Three together? sons together? Or were they just, just Michael, Michael is the shared partner in right. between the two? That's I don't the know. one thing I couldn't quite figure out, but there is definitely a threesome thing going on here. Right. Um, Tony said that Michael was afraid of Kim, who is six foot four inches tall and weighed over 300 pounds. That's a big guy. He is a big guy. And Kim had harmed Michael several times while wrestling with him. But again, okay. You keep for I keep forgetting that in the beginning of all this, Michael was living with Janet and her husband. He was the son of a family friend. friend. Yeah. And you wonder if I mean, because we I mean, we had that plenty of that happen around where we are mm-hmm. from. Um, if you get thrown Taking out of your house, somebody in, you trying take somebody to help in. out, you know, I don't know. But in any case, Tony says he was scared that Kim was going to kill Michael and himself. Um, two psychiatrists who examined Tony testified at the hearing. The experts offered different diagnoses of Tony. So the state's expert testified that Tony suffered from adult antisocial behavior disorder. The defense expert indicated that Tony was a weak, altruistic, altruistic person who was easily manipulated but could be rehabilitated. They yeah, I think agreed. we've talked about adult antisocial behavior disorder yeah. before, and one of the ones that I went all over the disorders. Yes. <laughs> they agreed that Tony genuinely loved Michael and participated in the murder to protect him. While Janet Jackson and Tony Rourke were awaiting trial in the Mercer County Jail, and this is the, the... love notes that she... Uh, passed around and oh my gosh i still am going you really think Didn't these weren't gonna, gonna be, be red? red so they actually brought some of those out in court and you know some of the love letters and notes said to keep the story simple that they could bust up the conspiracy theory if they kept their stories similar she said if they stick together they had a fighting chance against the whore traitor 
in Michael. Nice. Um, Faye Jackson, Kim's brother, was called to testify against the defendants. He did not answer any questions pleading the fifth. So I'm thinking, like, if you're Kim's family, because he had a sister, they they had a sister, their parents are alive. What are His they niece. thinking? Yeah. I mean. What the heck, Faye? How, how I, I mean, if your family, if, if somebody kills your brother and, and you find out that your other, other sibling sibling is a part of that. And you just wonder if behind the scenes, cause you know, this could be, well, my lawyer told me to plead the fifth cause nothing I'm going to say is going to be taken well. Right. And I don't want to go to jail too. Right. But how do you, how do you have that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've both talked about having interesting family conversations recently, and you're just like, how do you broach that one? Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, um, guys, um, you know how, how my brother was killed and um, all this other stuff. Well, I've been implicated, but I promise I haven't done any of it. But my, my, my lawyer says that it just doesn't sound good, so don't say anything, and it'll probably just all go away. Because yeah. they've got their people. Yeah. I would be like, what? Well, and I mean, the local <laughs> newspapers are actually talking about his involvement. And yeah, I mean, your parents are, have to be reading this going, oh, my gosh, did my one son try and, to? Yeah. And this is in the my... 80s when we when we didn't have as many uh, people saying, oh, fake news and all that other junk. Right. I mean, you had an expectation. Now, even today, we talk about if you talk about like celebrities and stuff and people gossip pages and all that stuff. Yes, there's plenty that can go out there that there's no good way to Mm -hmm. say y'all wrong. This is what's really happening in my family. Right. But yeah, you can't imagine. Was he a pariah Mm -hmm. after this? Did he have to move away? Did his family say, we forgive you? Yeah. I have no idea what happens with Faye, unfortunately. But in the end, both Janet and Tony were sentenced to life in prison with no chance for parole. The judge stated, not even the finest fiction writers could have envisioned the collision of these three people. It will be a long time before this court can expunge the sight of that bent water pipe from its mind. He also sends the pair to a concurrent 60-year prison term for armed robbery. He did not impose the death penalty because neither had a record before the plot to kill Kim Jackson. I don't know why that's a uh, defining standard, but I guess it's a defining you know, standard there. Um, I mean, life in prison is nothing to sneeze at, so that's that's good. Um, Costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It does. It does. Um, so this article also stated that Janet is now trying to deal with the abuse she went through and she wants to teach other prisoners about the Bible. And And I'm sorry, but that just makes me cringe. (laughs) I mean, how many people it's, I I, I bet I could find a stat on that one. That was on my list of things to look up. Um, and probably will at some point in time, because this is not going to be the first, nor this is not the first, nor it's going to be the last where somebody goes to prison and they find Jesus and Mm -hmm. decide to either, I mean, look at Charles Manson. Um, Yeah. Anyhow. I mean, he wasn't Jesus, but you find a religion, you create your own thing. Yeah. 
So Michael Miller took a plea deal for his testimony against Janet and Tony. He was sentenced to 17 years in prison. And Michael is presently out of prison. Well, he should be right now. He served his time and he got out. Now, uh, Tony and Janet being sentenced to life, both should still be in prison. Janet is definitely still in prison. But um, unfortunately, I cannot find Tony in the system. So he might have passed away. He might have passed away. Before they digitized the records. Right. He may not be in prison for whatever reason. But I did see an article in 2017 referencing that he was still in prison. So it could also be. So I used this thing called VineLink to to do my search. And uh, thank you. Shout out to my friend Bonnie. Um, cause she kind of told me about that and, um, that's a good thing to have for future stuff too. Definitely. We can say, Hey, so-and-so is still in prison yeah. or so-and-so died of a so heart attack. So Janet is definitely still there. Tony, not sure. He may be in a system that isn't reporting to it. Not sure. But in any case, um, both of them did get life terms and at least as of 2017, Tony was still in there. Um, so Kim Jackson is survived by his daughter, Catherine Ann, his parents, Wayne V. and Narissa Jackson, his sister, Nia Williams, and brother, Faye Jackson. He was a member of the local Carpenter- Carpenters Union and a former member of the Quad City Arabian Horse Club and Central Cyclone Slow Pitch Softball Team. He was an avid sportsman. And mm. once you get through with your thing Killing I'm for read, insurance <laughs> yes i'm gonna read um just a little bit from another article that i found that talks more about kim yeah yeah it's just oh, this whole thing uh but killing for insurance so it's funny um obviously i had searched killing for insurance and found lots of other things before i came across quora is one of those places where people do question and answer and you'll get people who are um I've used it before in a couple of these mm-hmm. where like somebody who is uh, well known in that field will come up with responses and some uh, there was a question asked how many people get killed in hope of a life insurance payout and how does it affect insurance policies some guy named zach taylor said over four percent of murderpedia in- in- entries we i've looked at murderpedia for stuff oh, yeah, too are potentially related to life insurance, which, if this is statistically representative, would mean over 600 uh, murders in the United States that are potentially related to an insurance motive. Um, Even if they overrepresent it, it's easily dozens, if not hundreds of people murdered every year, and they often do collect, including including at least five that I found that that are over 1 million or more and five or six dozen, just counting the ones I found. This uh, c- this could be at least one out of six of the entries in Murderpedia. Hmm. Insurance is sold on kids that couldn't possibly benefit from it, and it has been exposed as a scam by several reviewers. One of those uh, five cases for over a million dollars, Helen Gole and Olga, I love this name, Rutterschmidt, uh, was several murders of homeless people that had no connection to the killers. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember Lovely. the the homeless uh, mm-hmm. murders with I insurance kinda, cam. Yeah. 
Insurance insurance is a scam that incentivizes fraud, and people on this page saying that they can't get away with it are clearly wrong, and they're involved in legalized version of fraud. Oh, <laughs> crack me up. So then um, uh, Tariq Bati, um, affiliated with the insurance industry, industry since 1997, answered five years ago, if someone in this world thinks he is smarter than insurance investigators and insurance companies... He is grossly mistaken. <laughs> Life insurance contracts are underwritten with several risk ex- exclusions. Risk ass- assessments are done very carefully. Life proposed uh, is required to provide all relevant information about him or herself, family history, health, occupation, pastime activities, civil or criminal li- litigation, religious or political activism, any personal or family and. En- enmity and several such questions to assess the risk on the proposed life now this isn't quite the same as the government life insurance policies the government life insurance basically upon starting your job i I might know this (laughs) you get to decide and i guess they they gave him a nice little window to make the decision whether or not he could go up right and it had to probably be within the time he started correct that's the same thing for us um you can reduce it anytime. You can't make it more unless you have a life event. Correct. I'm sure all of you guys have heard this at some point in time. But yeah, like marriage, divorce, mm-hmm. um, children, what have you. So, but I still like this. Still, several people get killed around the world and the benefactors, by the benefactors of these policies. Who could they be? Wives, mostly in Asian countries. Because this guy, again, he's he's coming from a worldview on it. Mm-hmm. Um, maids and servants, mostly in Asian con- countries. Poor people who didn't even know they were the, uh, there was any policy on their life. Again, Asian countries and business partners are all around the world. So um, unless they change things since uh, five years ago, I wouldn't be taking out insurance policy. I'd be concerned about living in Asia <laughs> for the industry, uh, for being killed for an insurance uh, claim. Yeah. These are just a few examples. There could be more categories elsewhere in the world, but most of the time the benefactors do not get away with this claim. They are caught and punished for their crimes. Major factors behind these are greed to become rich with shortcuts. Imagine that. Inhumanity, ignorance and illiteracy, blind trust and faith. But this guy cracked me up. Some guy named Henry Seigel or Siegel, 44 years as a life actuary at large life insurance companies, came back with, are you asking if people commit murder to get insurance benefits? In the U.S., you can't benefit from a crime, so you can't get the benefits. The number is irrelevant to actuarial work. Therefore, since they won't show up as the deaths in our data, and they did they did not, uh, this just would be immaterial. And then the last one that cracked me up, a financial services representative, first of First of all, insurance companies are not run by idiots. <laughs> Their investigators and underwriters leave no I undotted, no T uncrossed. Second, how would the killer know if they are the beneficiary? I am an insurance agent, and you will be surprised how many policyholders haven't updated their beneficiaries. I've seen ex-wives left as the sole beneficiary and the current widow get a big fat zero. Mm-hmm. But essentially, typically, if a person is found guilty of murdering a person for whom they would receive a life insurance benefit, they don't receive the benefit. It goes to the deceased's estate to be sorted out by wills slash probate court. Um, And actually, the American Bar Association has a 12-page article in the law journals 
with regard to life insurance as motive for murder. So obviously this is something here in the United States, maybe not in Asia, that you definitely should consider uh, if you're trying to kill somebody. Um, be careful the whole life insurance thing. <laughs> so before we end this, and we're a little bit over this time around, but um, I just want to tell a little bit more about Kim. Um, there was actually a really good article in the Rock Island Argus on May 29th, 1983, and it's uh, specifically about Kim. And it says, when Kim Jackson was a boy, he had a dream, a dream to own a horse. Now that he has grown up, he has the good fortune to have his dream come true at least 14 times over. Jackson's dream came true when he purchased a gelding to ride about 11 years ago. Since then, he has bought other geldings, a stallion, and five mares. All but one of the mares now has a colt, making a total of 14 horses in the barn and pasture pasture lands that he rents southwest southwest of Sherard. Um, the Jacksons specialize in three breeds of horses, the Arabian, the Thoroughbred, and the Anglo-Arabian. The latter is a recently recognized breed that results from the union of a purebred Arabian and a purebred Thoroughbred. I'm not going to read this whole thing. That just a few little pieces, right? Well, because um, this article is when Janet and he were still married. Yeah, and it does and on talk good about terms. <laughs> Janet and I'm trying to kind of skip over some of that too. Damn it, but Janet, <laughs> <laughs> a little yes. Rocky Horror reference. Um, the Jacksons are members of the Quad Cities Arabian Horse Club, which sponsors three Class A shows a year. They also attend shows sponsored by other clubs. Based on his experience, Kim Jackson says he feels Arabian horses have an undeserved bad reputation for being temperamental and strong-willed. Not so, he says. In his opinion, Arabians are given kindness and good care, are gentle and loving. Like most horsemen, Jackson recognizes individual traits in the personalities of his animals. Even the two-month-old colt colts have traits such as curiosity shyness intelligence ability to learn and playfulness that are observable to the untrained eye when he points them out so you can tell he really had a passion for horses and can you imagine so that was three years before he died before he bought the property yes and talk about his dreams coming true and then some selfish jerk that he married yeah and decides to just the bizarre love triangle going oh on. Oh my gosh, I still can't believe. I mean, that whole part of it is a <laughs> lifetime movie, people. It, <laughs> it's like that would be one of those episodes on ID or what or oxygen or whatever that's a multi-parter. Yes. Cuz you have to sit there and go th- and dissect the relationship because how do you keep all that crap straight? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you can, obviously, but really, you're like, it's totally Ferris Bueller's day off. My sister's husband <laughs> <laughs> saw Ferris uh, pass out at 31 Flavors last night. But anyhow, you're it just really... like, what the heck? Seriously, Thank you, a crazy case. Thank you, Kathy, for suggesting this one. I'm really glad you did, just because it's... It's diabolical. It and is. It was not fascinating to read about. And right? I mean, 
Yeah. And there's even more, but again, it, it, you, I, I would love to delve into, and this is where it'd be nice, somebody who actually does investigative journalism mm-hmm. for a living could dive into all those different layers of the family situation and right. what the heck and what, what, ca- what became of Faye right. at the end of all this. That's, I want... Well, and I'm kind of curious about Michael too, like, because this kid, I mean, how, he, how did he get into He went this, through hell. Yeah. Position of... You know, he he's living and has an affair with a married woman and then also having an affair with this other guy. And then you're sleeping with both of them. And, and you're turning tricks. Yeah. I mean, just, at that age, such a kid. Wow. Yeah, it's just really sad. And it had you to be a wonder, serious broken yeah. home situation. Yeah. And I don't know. And I really hope that he's doing better now and like, I don't know, maybe turned his life around, but that's on the list of things that I would love to have a, a happy ending on yeah, that side. But I know it's a tough place to come from. It really is. And that's tough to come out of, you know, being having been in prison and then trying to start your life. I right. Don't know. I don't know. I but, can't imagine any of that being a positive, mm-hmm. but you know, they, there are stories that come out and you're just like, wow, good for you, kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how do you form intent and all that? What, all the pressures on him. Right. As a teenager. It's like, yes, we do um, try teenagers as adults. Yeah. Um, but this is one heck of a, you know, none of this intent was formed solely by him. Right. He's involved with adults much older than he is. And I'm going to post the pictures of the three of these people online. And mm-hmm. um, when I do my my notice about the case and okay, she's not very attractive and Tony is not very attractive, but Michael is very attractive. Aww. It's kind of... Um, I feel so, I feel bad for him because I do feel like he was very much manipulated. He was and victimized. Yeah, very, yeah. I really think he was kind of a, another victim in this whole thing. And, you know, and I don't, I couldn't find a picture of Kim anywhere. But, you know, it seemed like, I don't know that, I mean, he was a large man. But it, it talking about the way he was with horses, horses, you know, a person who is abusive is typically not so good with animals. Right. I they mean, tend to be bad could, with animals. It could. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't happen because you never know somebody's situation. But I don't know. This, I, I just don't know. Yeah. And I guess there are, I mean, there are those people who only love animals and people are trash. True. So uh, uh, it's hard to say, you know, and it could have been that Janet just didn't want the life she had. She yeah. thought she wanted something else and boy, she got it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's in jail now. Uh-huh. So thank you for listening to <laughs> Nothing Happens in a Small Town, where things do happen, obviously. And small towns are not the quiet, quaint places you think they are. Most definitely not. And so, um, as usual, you can uh, find us in many places. Our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash nothing happens happens in a small town. Instagram username profile, nothing Nothing happens in a small town. Twitter username profile, nothing happens in a small town. N-H-I-A-S-T. 
Our Facebook page is Nothing, Nothing Happens, Happens in a, a Small Town at NHIAST 2021. And our Gmail, if you have a suggestion, we obviously do take them. Um, <laughs> nothing happens in a small town at gmail.com. Gmail. Thanks, Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.